The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. All right, the scripture is coming from Psalms 23. There we go. Um, it'll be on the screen behind me, or you can follow along. The, seat, the Bible's under the seats. It's on page 458. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not. He makes me in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This has been God's word. Well, again, it's been a long time since we've been here. You know, it's been three weeks today since we last gathered, and a little bit has happened since then, huh? So we, we've had a, you know, a threat of a, a major hurricane. Uh, we've had a, a large evacuation. We had tons and tons of rain, and then, as I heard a friend of mine describe it, whose house was you know threatened and was actually flooded, part of it, he's to, to watch and wait for the floodwaters to come in, he described it as sort of like waiting for a slow slow motion gut punch, like like you know it's coming and you see it's coming, and everybody is waiting for it, and yet it's just slowly coming in. It's like a, a slow motion just punched to the gut. It doesn't come in like a fury. It comes in like slow, and then all of a sudden it's here, and it's affected all of us, right? So no matter, like, so some of you here, you've been affected by it. Maybe your house or your neighborhood has been affected. Uh, if you're here, even if you're, your house or your neighborhood wasn't, you have friends, you have neighbors, you have uh, family members, coworkers who have been affected, and just even just watching on the news or social media and just seeing the pictures and the videos is just kind of overwhelming, isn't it? Even if it wasn't affecting you and your possessions directly, just watching it come in and watching people's houses surrounded by water and watching people have to drive to their house in a boat. And, and I saw a picture yesterday of a lady who was at her birthday and her sister or somebody threw her a birthday party on the roof of her house because the only thing that was left is eight feet underwater. And just seeing pictures like that just wears on you, right? Like, like Dale was saying, like, like sometimes you're like, I don't even see where the needs are. And then all of a sudden, something like this happens and it's, and it's, it's very trivial, but even little things like traffic patterns being changed and roads being closed. And you're like, I can't get to work or it takes me three hours to get to work and things are different. It just kind of throws us all off, right? And so as we're getting back together to worship, as we're gathering back again after two weeks off, after three weeks of not being here, I wanted us to just take a, take a moment in this overwhelming time. As we've been studying in 1 Samuel, as we see David starting to emerge. Like Saul has, has really messed up, and now David has emerged. He's been anointed king of Israel, and we saw last time that we gathered how he... Uh, 
conquered Goliath. And the rest of the book of 1 Samuel is gonna be about David, about his rise and how there's a great period of time between when he is anointed king and he actually becomes king. And that whole period of time between him being anointed king and him becoming king is full of tragedy and heartbreak and difficulty. It's full of dark times. It's full of shadows of death. And so I want us to take a minute as we uh, are coming back together in the middle of this kind of tragedy and disaster that's surrounding us and in the middle of this study of 1 Samuel about David to see how did David respond to disaster and tragedy? How did David respond to heartbreak and to loss? It's a very familiar passage that we're looking at, Psalm 23. Some of you may even have it memorized, but uh, David wrote this psalm from a standpoint of a person well acquainted with trouble, well acquainted with loss, and well acquainted with grief. The man who he came to to view as sort of a surrogate father, the father of his best friend, is very soon, as we're going to see, going to seek to kill him over and over again. He's going to chase him down. David's going to end up hiding in caves. As David progresses in his life, people close to him turn against him and try to pursue him. His own son tries to take his kingdom and have him killed. He was well acquainted with loss and grief. And that's where we come to this passage this morning. We're gonna see what can we learn about how we can respond to suffering and adversity from David. We're gonna ask three questions of the text this morning. First of all, we're gonna ask, what does it mean for God to be my shepherd? And then secondly, what does it mean for, to be able to fear no evil? And thirdly, what does it mean to have goodness pursue you? What does it mean to have God be my shepherd? What does it mean for me to fear no evil? And what does it mean to have goodness pursue me? First of all, let's look at what does it mean to have God as your shepherd. Let's start off at reread this first three verses of this passage that Daniel read for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, David starts off this psalm by comparing God to being a shepherd and comparing himself to being a sheep in the shepherd's flock. Now, David would have been very well acquainted with what he is talking about here. He's using this example because that's what he was. He was a shepherd in his family before he was anointed king of Israel. In fact, if you remember the story, the, the, all the sons of Jesse come in and Samuel's coming in and he's going to anoint the successor to Saul and all the brothers are there except David because David is out caring for the sheep. He was a, a shepherd. He was out with them, like caring for the sheep and writing poetry and songs and, you know, killing, you know, bears and, and lions on the, on the side, right? So, so a pretty kind of 
well-rounded kind of guy, but he was a shepherd. He knew what it was meant, what it meant to be a shepherd, and he knew what it meant to be a sheep. And comparing himself to a sheep was not like a flattering description. Uh, sheep, depending on what you read and what you look at, uh, some people say sheep are stupid, and some people say sheep are not. But here's what's true about sheep, about no, no matter whether they're smart or stupid. Here's, here's the truth about sheep. Uh, sheep lack the basic instincts because they're herd animals to, to thrive and to survive without help from the outside. Sheep lack the necessary instincts to thrive and survive outside of an outside force guiding them and controlling them and taking them to where they need to go. They, they lack those basic survival instincts. They, they lack the ability to find suitable food. That they will, they will eat the food in the area and then they won't be able to find other food and they'll simply die of starvation. This is, this is what sheep will do. They will go and they will find water, but if the water is moving, they will try to drink the water and the water will run over their nostrils while they're drinking the water and they will drown while drinking the moving water. So judge for yourself whether they're smart or dumb. I'm not making any judgments about the intelligence of sheep. I'm just telling you about some basic facts about them. They had trouble finding good water. They drowned themselves while drinking. They often stray from the flock and find themselves in danger. Now, sheep are herd animals. They're made to stay with the herd, to stay with the flock. And yet, at times, sheep will wander away from the rest of the flock and be left to themselves, get stuck, get trapped somewhere, and die. They'll get stuck in brambles because they don't realize they're full of like, they're covered with like layers of wool on the outside and then they can't move and they'll just simply die stuck right there. They'll, they'll, they will end up on the side of a mountain in a snowstorm and die from exposure to the elements, which is really hard if you're a sheep because you're covered with wool, right? They, not only that, will they wander off by themselves, but because there are herd animals, sometimes the herd itself altogether their collective intelligence packed together, they will still find themselves on the side of a mountain in a snowstorm and the whole flock will die. I heard a story of this really cool, like really, like a real, it made me feel like, it doesn't take a lot for me to question my manhood, but this guy, it was a Scottish guy and he's a shepherd in Scotland and he was talking about being a shepherd in Scotland. I was like, man, this is a real man. And he was talking about, and you realize they're not where they're supposed to be and it was to the elements, so saying that God was his shepherd says something both about David and about God. Here's what David was saying about himself. David was recognizing that he was not able to lead himself. David was not able to lead himself. Now, which is interesting, coming from a man who had been anointed king of Israel, he's gonna prove himself on the battlefield. He's a leader of men. Whenever he's hiding in the cave in Adullam, I said that the, like the baddest dudes, the baddest dudes, the, the hellions, the hellraisers, they went and found David and followed him to be their leader. He was a strong leader of men. Then he would become king of Israel and he would lead Israel. He'd be the sovereign ruler over Israel. What he said went. He ruled the armies. He was in control of all the land and all the people. He was a leader. He was a man's man. He was a leader proven in battle and proven in leadership. And yet David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I am not able to lead myself. Just like those sheep that will wander off or even the whole herd will follow each other into harm's way, 
I am that person. I am that kind of person. I will lead myself into trouble. Has that been your experience? Like some of you guys, are, I've met you guys and I've talked with you, you're really smart. You know a lot. You have street smarts or book smarts. You, you know what's going on and I talk to you and, and you are really smart and, and, and yet how many of us, no matter how smart we are, no matter how intelligent we are, we are found that we are able to royally screw up our lives over and over again like a dumb sheep drowning itself while it's trying to drink wandering off or following the herd into harm's way. David recognizes that's who I am and I need, no matter how gifted I am, no matter how strong I am, no matter how smart I am, no matter what a great natural leader I am, I am not able to lead myself. And don't we see that? How many great leaders in all kinds of different realms, political leaders, uh, great artists, great leaders in the on the fields, how many people do we see, in leaders in business and finance, who are intelligent and smart in those areas, but yet we see them over and over again shipwreck their lives because they are unable to lead themselves. You and I, as human beings, are unable to lead ourselves. And the rest of the psalm, in all of its beauty, is not true for you or me unless we recognize, first of all, that. I am not able to lead myself. That's what David is saying about himself. And what he's saying about God is that God is the one to lead him. The Lord is my shepherd. I need a shepherd. I need a leader. I lack the ability to lead myself. And it is God who, is, who has made me to be led by him. I am made to follow the voice of someone. And we all follow the voice of someone. And the only voice that leads us to safety and to comfort, to food and to sustenance and to those quiet waters is the voice of the shepherd who made us and who we're made for. I am not able to lead myself, but God is the one who is to lead us. That's what David is saying. So much of our isn't this true? So much of our worry and our fret and stress is caused by each one of our fierce independence. Isn't that true? Like we want to prove that we are not that sheep. We want to prove like, I, I, I know I can see around me, everybody has messed up their life, but I'm going to be the one to get this right. I know the right way. And don't you just picture like one of those sheep's trot, sheep Sheeps, sheep, just trotting off from the rest of the herd, like going his own way and saying, hey, all these cats over here, they're following the shepherd. Man, they're just dumb sheep. I have figured out the path to freedom. No other sheep has lasted. Every single one has died on the mountainside or got caught in the brambles or drowned themselves in running water, but I think I'm the one that's got this thing down. Follow me to freedom. And yet over and over again, every single time, it does not end in freedom. It ends in greater, greater danger and greater trouble. And it isn't so much of our worry and our fret and our stress caused by our desire to be fiercely independent and go our own way because we desperately, we so, we so desperately want to prove ourselves. Isn't that what really drives you from deep inside? 
a desire to prove yourself, it looks different from different ones of us. Some of this is your, your parent or your dad or your mom or somebody who said, like, you're never going to amount to anything. And you're like, I'm going to prove them wrong. Or nobody ever showed you love or unconditional acceptance. And you're like, I'm going to prove them that I'm worth loving. I'm worth accepting. One day, somebody's going to love me. One day, I'm going to prove how right and good and I am. I'm going to prove that to somebody. And yet, we are so overwhelmed with worry and stress and fret because we're trying to fiercely prove something that we can never prove on our own. Because we are made to be sheep to follow the voice of the shepherd. And if you follow another voice or your own, it always ends in the brambles. It always ends on the mountainside. It always ends in death. But notice that David doesn't just say that the Lord is a shepherd, or he doesn't say he's the shepherd. Notice what he says there. The Lord is what? My shepherd. The wording there, I was reading one of the, the commentators, and they said this is incredibly intimate language. Usually David writes uh, Psalms and he's compared the Lord to his rock or his fortress or his king. But here, David, it's very personal and it's very intimate. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just the shepherd or a shepherd. He is my personal shepherd. It's personal and it's intimate. See, the relationship of a shepherd to a sheep, even if he had a hundred sheep he was looking, looking over, it was very personal and intimate with each individual sheep. He didn't just shepherd the flock. He shepherded each individual sheep in the flock. He knew them by name. He knew them by their markings. He knew their tendencies. He knew, he knew this one's likely to snap at me whenever I try to pull it out of the brambles. This was likely to kick when I tried to shear it. This one's likely to roam away. This one's likely to eat something it's not supposed to eat. The sheep was bound to the shepherd and the shepherd to the sheep in a very personal bond. They were bound to each other. What David's saying is here, he's saying, I am pledged to the Lord as his sheep, and the Lord is pledged to me as my shepherd. There's a pledge there between us. And everything that follows in the rest of this, all the beautiful poetry that follows in the rest of this psalm is banked on this statement. Not only that the Lord is the shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd, and therefore I will not want the Lord is my shepherd. But how, how could David and how could you and I, how could we bank on, have the confidence to say that, the, that God is pledged to me in that kind of way? How can I know that the Lord is not just the shepherd or a shepherd or shepherd to other people, but he is my personal shepherd? How can I know that? How can I say that with confidence? We look at the what Jesus said about himself in John 10, 11 through 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. So that, that hiring has, hireling has, has no personal connection. He doesn't lose anything if the wolf comes in and eats the sheep. 
Like he still gets paid for the day or the hour, no matter how many sheep he loses. I mean, he might lose his job, but he's still gonna get paid for the time that he's putting in. But that shepherd owns the sheep. And each loss is a loss from him personally. He takes threats against his sheep personally because they're threats against him. And Jesus says, they see the wolf coming and they leave the sheep and flee and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If he has given his life for you, if he's given his life for me, then the rest of the truths of the psalm can be true for you and me. But without that, it's just a nice, pretty poem that people read at funerals or put on coffee mugs or calendars. But if you know he has given his life for you, then you know there's a pledge from him to you. He purchased you as his sheep. He purchased you as his own. You belong to him. And any threat against you is a threat against him. He takes it personally and strongly. He said, I know my own and they know me. And before that in John 10, he says, my sheep know my voice and they will not follow a stranger. Do you know his voice? Do you to you? And have you responded? Have you seen that he gave his life for you and purchased you, and you have bowed your knee and said, you're not just a shepherd or the shepherd, you are my shepherd. You gave yourself for me, and so therefore, I unreservedly give myself to you because I know it's safer here under your command and your lead than it is from me out of the fold by myself. If not, now can be your time, and this moment can be your moment. Listen to the voice of the shepherd calling you. He may have been calling you for weeks and months and years and you have run trying to find your own way to freedom without bowing to your knee, your furry little knee to that of the shepherd. Today and this morning can be your time. And if that is true, if you have responded, then look what David says next. He says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he is my shepherd, listen to what David's saying. And it is, it is mind-blowing if we read it. Just forget that you reread this at funerals and it's on you know, T-shirts or pillowcases at your grandma's house or whatever. And just listen to it here for what it's saying. He's saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I will have no needs. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall have no needs, no wants. He leads me to good food and water. Now, what does that mean? Because David, as he's writing this, we don't know exactly when he wrote it, but David knew times of want. He knew times of hunger. He knew times of thirst. He sat in the cave of Adullam and wondered if his if this time was gonna be up, waiting for Saul to hunt him down for a while all alone. He's hiding there by himself. He 
he would know hunger and he'd know thirst. So what does it mean if he's saying, I shall have no want, I'll have no need? It means, here's what it means. It means the shepherd will always lead me to what he knows I need. The shepherd will always lead me to what he knows that I need so that I will have no want. But why, for you or me, why does sometimes it seem like that's not the case? Why does it seem sometimes like he's not giving me what I need or what I, I do? Not, this was said, I shall have no want. It doesn't mean like, hey, I want the new iPhone. It's saying like a true need. What does it mean if I feel that that's not the case? You know what it means? It means that sometimes you and I are prone to panic. Sometimes we're prone to wander away from the herd and from the shepherd. And we find ourselves out alone, running away from him. And that's when we start to really start to fear. Maybe for you, this, this morning is a time where you need to repent of some of your wanderings and some of your runnings. Maybe the fact that you experience want is, or feel like you're experiencing want or need is your wandering and running away from the shepherd. But if we stay with him, though, it says this. It says, he restores my soul. Here's what that means. That's a twofold purpose, a twofold meaning. It says, first of all, whenever it says he will restore my soul, it means that he will reform the damage that we've done to our own souls. Have you made decisions that have damaged your soul? Deep regrets that you have that you look back and say, man, that has marred my life. My, my thinking, my life, my marriage, my family, my career has not been the same since I made this decisions, these decisions. Maybe it was before you knew Christ. Maybe it was after you knew Christ. Maybe it was last night or this morning. Maybe it's something continual that you deal with. But if we stick with the shepherd, it says that he will restore, he will reform the damage that we've done to our own souls. Then also it means he will repair the damage done to us. Some of us here, we've been hurt and maimed by enemies. Maybe people close to you, maybe the deep levels, the valleys of darkness that we've been in. And here's the promise. He will restore your soul. It may not be overnight. It takes a while for the shepherd to heal each lamb and sheep. But you stick with the shepherd. He will restore your soul. He will lead us on the paths that we should be on. And then this is beautiful. He does so for his name's sake. Here's the, here's the awesome thing is he's not just doing it for you. He's doing it for you so that he, as he is a good shepherd for you and for me, as he cares for us and guides us and leads us so that we have no want and no need, here's the beautiful thing that happens is his name is glorified because he's shown to be, God is shown to be such an amazing shepherd. What does it mean to fear no evil? Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's a truth I know about you and about me. that No matter how cool and collected you act, no matter how much 
money that you have in the bank, no matter how secure you may look and seem to be, all of us, all of us are afraid. All of us are afraid. Our fears may not be the same, we may not be afraid of the same thing, but all of us are afraid. Fear drives us. Many of us use it as a motivating tool. I hear over and over again, like great athletes, when you, when you hear what motivates them, like it feels just kind of sad at the end because they're like, man, I am afraid that I'm gonna prove all my detractors right. I'm afraid they're gonna be right. Tom Brady taking the seventh round. I'm afraid I'm gonna pr- that they're gonna be proved right and that still drives him to this day, fear drives many of us. For, for many of us, fear and anxiety plague us. And wouldn't it be amazing to have no fear? That's what David is saying here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And valleys and shadowy places were places of great danger in this time. When you go down into the valley, you can't see what's ahead. There's shadows, it's dark. There could be robbers and murderers waiting for you all over the place. It was, roads were very dangerous. Valleys were very dangerous places. And what David is saying here, he's saying this is not only a shadowy dark place, but it is the shadow of death. Do you ever feel that shadow? Are that shadows hanging over you? Maybe late at night when you're lying in bed and you can't get your heart to stop beating fast. You can't get your mind to stop. Maybe you're around people and you're, you're, you are gripped with anxiety and fear. It feels, just, hey, here's the cool thing. This is a beautiful psalm, but it's full of a gritty reality. You and I will go through valleys of the shadow of death. You and I will go through valleys of shadow. Some of us have been there the past few weeks as we feel the dread of the storm coming and then we, we, maybe you stayed here, maybe you're away and you're wondering how your house is or you're staying here and you're wondering if you're gonna be safe and then the floodwaters are coming and you're wondering what does that mean for you and your, where you live or your friends or your neighbors or your work or all these things, this shadow of death just fills us and hangs over us. But some of us, the shadow is not related to the storm or floods. As the clouds cleared away and the waters recede, the valley of the shadow of death, that shadow still hangs over you. It seems to hang over you all the time and you cannot seem to shake it. Here's, and I don't make light of those things or cavalier about it, but here's what David says. He says, because the Lord is his shepherd, he needs not fear evil. And again, this is a man well acquainted with evil, well acquainted with danger, well acquainted with attempts on his own life. But here's why he says he fears no evil. He fears no evil. I fear no evil because you are with me. Here's a beautiful picture At this point in the psalm, 
the shepherd is no longer ahead leading. The shepherd is beside him leading. The shepherd isn't leading from ahead. He's right beside him because you are with me. That's a picture of being with or being beside. And if God is your shepherd, then I don't know what shadow of death that you stand under, what valley that you are walking through. I would not trivialize it. I would not make light of it. I would not tell you that it is not scary. It is not dark, that that death does not hang over you. But here's what I know. If he is your shepherd, then he is with you. He is with you. How can you fear no evil? Because the God Almighty, it it could be that it's just the darkness and you don't see him and you have to trust that he's there or it could be that he's actually pursuing you because you've strayed away in the darkness. The beautiful thing in the rest of this passage is the, the, the time that he's not with us with him is whenever he is pursuing him, coming after him. Notice where David, because look at where he says he draws his comfort. He says, You're, you, I will fear no evil because you are with me in the shadow of the valley, valley of the shadow of death. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, it's a twofold comforting. The rod was a, was a, uh, was a stick, a short stick, like a cudgel, like a club. It may have had spikes on them. We don't know. It was a short cudgel or club that the, the shepherd kept on his belt, ready to just beat the heck out of what was coming after the sheep. No matter what was coming after the sheep, a wolf, whatever, he's going to pull out that cudgel, pull out that club, pull out that rod, and he was going to beat the heck out of that pursuer. David told Saul, he says, I have killed the lion and the bear. Why did he kill them? Not just for sport, because they were coming after his sheep. So he put himself in harm way to kill the lion and to kill the bear so they wouldn't get to the sheep. Your cudgel, your weapon comforts me. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Your shepherd, your God, the creator of heaven and earth, he is guarding you and your life. And if you stand in the valley of the shadow of death, you need to remind yourself of that. You need to focus on that in the days to come over and over and over again. He is with me. I may not feel it. It might be dark. I may not see him. I may not feel him, but he is with me. His rod comforts me. Whatever danger is around me, whatever is stalking me, whatever I have done or others want to do with me, he is out there with his cudgel and he's gonna beat that thing to death in order to keep me safe and Sound, your rod comforts me, but also your staff comforts me. You know what the staff was for? It was to guide, that's a nice way to say it, and discipline the sheep who are wayward. When you're trying to get away, when it's dark and it's scary and you feel it's better to veer your own way, he's got that rod to comfort you, to keep you from enemies, but he's got that staff to keep you in the fold. And he will. As you try to run away, he will discipline you. He will do what, has to, what he has to do in order to keep you safe. It may feel hard and harsh, but it's better than the alternative of being outside of the fold without him and his protection and his comfort. And if he's disciplining you this morning, receive that discipline and bow your knee to him. When we stray, 
He's behind us to bring us back. Do you remember who's beside you? Very quickly, lastly, what does it mean to have goodness pursue you? These last two verses are my favorite. The Lord is my shepherd. I need not fear when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death because he is with me. And then these verses, verses five and six, are words of lavishness. Words of incredibly difficult to wrap your head around lavishness. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You prepare a table. You know what that means? A picture there is a banqueting table. It's a party table. It's a feast. He's saying, God, you prepare a table before me full of a bountiful bountiful feast, what you would serve at a feast, at a party, what you would serve at a banquet. That's what he spread before you. It's not meager rations. It's not hard bread and water. He feeds you in the presence of your enemies lavishly at a banqueting party feast table. All things that are great and scrumptious to eat. Picture what your banqueting table would look like, like for real. Like what food and drinks and desserts would you have on that banqueting table? He serves that for you. In the presence of your enemies laid out. It's sort of taunting the enemies. Hey, This is how much I love them and have cared for them. You enemies that are camped around watching, look at how good I have it for my children, for my sheep. Look how much goodness I pour upon them. It's a continual feast. It's not just a feast that we feast and then it's over, like Thanksgiving dinner and everybody sits around is like groaning. It's a continual feast over and over and over again. Whatever you need, whatever you want, the feast for you laid out in the presence of your enemies. It's lavish. In the presence of my enemies, it's not some future paradise. Like, he's not in some of our enemies. That means an inner feast that you have with Christ now in this life when things are dark and tough and hard and this, you're in the valley of the shadow of death and you're surrounded by enemies, yet there's this inner banquet that you have and your relationship with Christ where he is feeding you lavishly, lavishly in your soul. There's this picture in the Pilgrim's Progress where a pilgrim walks into this house and he sees several pictures and one, he sees this fire and he sees the enemy in front of the fire and the, he's continually pouring water upon this fire, trying to quench it. And the, the pilgrim is saying to his, his guy that's with him, he's saying, stop him. Look, he's going to put out the fire. And he says, and the guy's not, he's not threatened. He's not scared, his guide. And he says, come, I want to show you something. He takes him on the other side of the wall. And on the other side of the wall from where the enemy is pouring water upon the fire, trying to douse it, he sees the Holy Spirit or God pouring out oil upon the fire to keep it burning. That's the soul of the banqueting table for the believer in darkness. Surrounded by enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Oil was, it was poured on the sheep to, to heal and to soothe their wounds. And then he says, my cup 
overflows. <laughs> this is my favorite part. He's talking about a cup of wine that never ends. Wine that brings joy and peace and calm to you. It's a continual cup that never ends. There's no bottom continually for you in the presence of your enemy, bringing joy and peace. And then look at this. Your goodness, surely goodness and mercy. That word mercy is the same word that means steadfast love. Surely your goodness and your steadfast love and mercy shall follow me. It doesn't really give a full picture here. That word follow is like the picture of pursuit. That's what I was talking about earlier. Goodness, surely goodness and steadfast love will pursue me, will chase me down so that I cannot escape. It is so lavish. The goodness and the steadfast of God pursue those who are shepherded by him so hard that we cannot escape it. That's yours in Christ. And this final assurance is what chases every last bit of fear away. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the wording of family and adoption. It means I know that I will be a member of God's household, his family forever. When my days are over, nobody can steal anything from me because that is sure and lasting. So here's what that means for you and I. Some of us this morning, we should, as we prepare our hearts for communion, should should, we need to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to bow to him as your shepherd. Maybe you need to repent to him for trying to run away from him. Maybe you need to come to him and say, God, would you show me, would you remind me that you are with me in the valley of the shadow of death? When we leave from here and we see all the needs around us, and there are gonna be needs around us from this storm and this flood for months and months and months to come. It can be overwhelming. Overall, here in North Carolina, I read something like a quarter of a million households have been affected. But here's, here's the good news, is that you and I are called for his namesake as his sheep to go out and not offer them anything that we have from ourselves, but to offer to point them to the shepherd who has everything that they need and has shown to have everything that we need and to feed them from that banqueting table that he's given us and to give them drink from our overflowing cup from him. All for his name's sake. Let's pray and let's prepare our hearts for communion. Lord, we prepare our hearts for the banqueting table. Your body broken and your blood shed, which reminds us that we feast from you, a, a never-ending lavish feast that it brings us everything that we could need and that we have an, an assurance that there will be a banquet one day that will be lavish and never-ending as we dwell in your house forever as your sons and your daughters with nothing that could ever separate us from the love of Christ. And Father, I ask that you would 
do business with us as we prepare our hearts, each one of us. And that as we leave here today, that you would help us to go to serve the people around us from a banqueting table that never runs dry and a cup that is overflowing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.